All right, we're in Mark chapter 10 this morning, and uh, this is not actually our first service of 2023. We did have a service last week. It was uh, New Year's Day, and we had our pancake breakfast, and I want to say thank you to all of you who served there, Rebecca and the Gleasons and those who spearheaded and ran that and volunteered in different ways. We had a great time hanging out together, sharing a meal together. Uh, Wes Dewhurst, one of our board members, shared his testimony, which was awesome, and Wes doesn't like being the center of attention, and he doesn't like that I'm doing it now, but I want to say thank you to Wes for sharing and sharing the scripture with us, which was awesome. Uh, and so this is our first sort of more formal service of 2023. And um, I don't always do it this way, but I often start off uh, the year with a bit of a look at New Year's. And uh, it's the holidays landed kind of weird this year, right? Because the Christmas was on a Sunday and New Year's was on a Sunday. And the way the kids' uh, Christmas holidays landed was a bit awkward. And so our kids are going back to school tomorrow. And every parent said, hallelujah, praise the Lord. We're back to it. And so as we are, you know, a week in into 2023 now, uh, I do want to just take some time to talk about what's coming up this year. And we have often, uh, in 2023 or any other year, uh, taken time to say, here's our theme for the year, right? So last year, 2022 was what? A year of? Pursuing peace, right? And we took the whole year to address that theme in different ways, pursuing peace. So we actually decided that we're not going to pick a theme for this year. Because one of the things that happened as well in 2022 is we began to roll out for you our vision statement and something that we'd been working on for a while. So here at Meadowbrook Church, we are helping people take their next steps with Jesus. And so whether you're just checking Jesus out and you're not sure who he is, whether you've been walking with Jesus for a very long time, or whether you're anything in between, we want to help you take your next steps towards him and walking with him. And we focus on that primarily three different ways, upward, inward, and outward. Upward, we want to take our next steps in our walk with him, our connection with him, our relationship with him. Inward, we want to take our next steps as we're dealing with our stuff, as we're being transformed, as we're growing inwardly. And then outward, we want to be taking our next steps in how we're treating other people, how we're loving and serving other people, how we're sharing Jesus with other people, etc. And so as we began to unveil this vision last year and work through it, as we came to the end of the year, we actually, as a staff, were talking and praying about it and just found that with the yearly theme, as well as the new vision theme, it was getting a bit convoluted and we just kind of wanted to simplify a little bit. So we're just going to focus on this this year and continuing to establish this and unpack this and roll this out. And so 2023 is going to be a year of helping people take their next steps with Jesus. And that's going to show up in lots of different ways. And so that will be our emphasis this year. And as we kick off a new year together, um, there's just, there's such a place in scripture for pausing. And we don't do that maybe a lot in our lives. Just a time of pause, a time of waiting, a time of rest. The whole book of Deuteronomy I love because the whole book of Deuteronomy, even though there's a lot of stuff in there and there's a lot going on, it's actually a pause in the life of the people of Israel. Israel has been wandering, wandering through the wilderness for 40 years, heading for the promised land. They are about to enter into the promised land, the thing that they've been waiting for for 40 years and realistically much longer. They've been praying for deliverance. And so in the book of Deuteronomy, you have Israel arriving at the border of the promised land. And then God says, pause, just wait. And the whole book of Deuteronomy is just God talking to them about, here's where you've been. Here's who you are and who I've called you to be. 
and here's where you're going next. And it's a bit of a summary of everything that has happened up to this point in Scripture, everything that God has laid out in His law, and everything He's promised them that they're about to walk into. But before they can walk into it, God just says, wait, pause, set up a camp, everybody, we're just going to wait. We're not going to go charging ahead. Let's just pause and let's reflect. Let's remind ourselves of where we've been. And let's think about where we're going, and let's think about who we are and who God has called us to be. And so there's these natural times in life where it's good to do that, and I've just found that New Year's is one of those times, right? We've just finished a year, we're just heading into a year, and God in his divine creation has, for whatever reason, set things up uh, on this 365-day calendar. We know from the way the stars and the planets move in the sky that that's how long it takes us to go around the sun, and we have a moon in the sky that marks off the months, and so God has set us in this world that is governed by time, and as we get into a new year, we are shifting from one year into a new year. And it's just a really good time for all of us to take some time to go, okay, where have I just been in the last year? Where do I think I might be going in this next year? And who am I? Who has God called me to be? And how is that going to affect how I live this out? So there's a bit of a New Year's challenge in this today. Um, because ultimately, as we are reflecting on this, these things, it's all getting framed in the light of Jesus Christ, who is our Lord and Savior. Right? Where has he led us this last year? Where is he leading us in the year to come? And who are we? Who has he created us to be? Who does he say that we are? What has he said that he will do? It all gets framed in light of who he is. And so I have a question I like to ask people, and that is if Jesus were to stand in front of you right now, if you were to actually see him stand in front of you, and he were to ask you this question, what do you want me to do for you? What would your answer be? If Jesus were to stand in front of you right now and say, what do you want me to do for you? What would your answer be? I like asking people that question. Sometimes I ask people that question right away. They just go, ah, they start crying and they start pouring out their heart of all the things they're looking for, all the things they're waiting for, all the things that they've been praying for. Sometimes there's a very obvious answer, like it just pops up right away. I know exactly what I would like to see Jesus do for me. Sometimes that's hard to answer. Sometimes we've got to wrestle through that. Sometimes people get annoyed at the question, and they're my favorites. What do you want me to do for you? They're like, oh, what? So Jesus, what, he's a genie in the lamp? What, he's just, he's here to serve you? I thought he was the master and we're the servant, right? Why, why would you put those words in Jesus' mouth? Like, that's not what he does. Like, he doesn't just pop out of a lamp and give you whatever you want. And I say, you're absolutely right. Jesus is not a genie in a lamp. And a genie in a lamp would say, what do you want me to do for you, right? That's a genie's job, right? And it's their job just to show up and grant wishes. And that absolutely is not who Jesus is. So when I say Jesus shows up and hypothetically says, what do you want me to do for you? Here's the thing. That's not hypothetical. That's a question he actually asks in his word. That's a question that he asks in the scripture. It's a question that he asks actually in the text that we're about to jump into, Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? So let's take a look at that today. Mark chapter 10, and we're starting in verse 46. Then they, Jesus and the disciples, came to Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. 
Jesus stopped and said, call him. So they called to the blind man, cheer up on your feet. He's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. So there's that question, what do you want me to do for you? And of course, we would acknowledge that Jesus is the master, not the servant. It's not his job to give us everything we want. It's not his job just to wait on us. When we ask him for things, he's going to say no at times. We would acknowledge all of that. And yet at the same time, although he's not a genie in a lamp, Jesus is God. He is God over all. He is God over all who loves us. He is God over all who loves us and has compassion on us and is concerned for us. He is God over all who loves us, has compassion on us, is concerned for us, and has the power to answer our prayers. He's the one we go to because he's God over all. It's not the first time something like this has come up. You might remember this story from 2 Chronicles chapter 1 where God appears before Solomon, verses 7 through 10. That night God appeared to Solomon and said to him, ask for whatever you want me to give you. Solomon answered, God, you've shown great kindness to David, my father, and have made me king in his place. Now, Lord God, let your promise to my father, David, be confirmed, for you have made me king over a people who are as numerous as the dust of the earth. Give me wisdom and knowledge that I may lead this people for who is able to govern this great people of yours. So a famous moment in scripture where God shows up to Solomon and says, I will give you what you want. I'll give you what you ask for. And Solomon says, give me wisdom. Give me a wise and discerning heart. Some versions say, I need something to help me, lead me and lead, lead me and lead your people, the ones that you've called me to lead. I need your help in order to do that. And God is impressed that Solomon doesn't go the selfish route, right? Solomon doesn't say anything I want. How about a bazillion dollars? It's no, give me a tool, give me a gift, give me something that will help your people. And God says, I'll give you wisdom, I'll also give you the bazillion dollars, I'll also give you everything else that you will need as a king because you have not been selfish in the way that you asked. And so what we learn from this story is, yeah, what we ask for is important when God asks that question. And it's not a thing where you can go like, well, I'm secretly going to ask for the humble thing so that he gives me all the extra stuff like Solomon. But to come in humbly and say, all right, what do I need, want? What do I need the Lord to do for me or to do for my family or to do for my church or to do for my country? And it's going to be in the humility of Solomon that we answer that question. It's not going to be selfish. Philippians 4, 6 says, don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition, every situation, everyone say every in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Are you in a situation right now? You sure are. Then that's the time for prayer and petition. That's the time where we are invited to present our requests to God. God says, come and ask me. Come to me and ask with thanksgiving. Come and bring those requests before me. And so we come to him because he's the one that we go to. Ephesians 6.18, pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. That word all shows up there a bunch of times that we are to be in this continual state of coming to the Lord, of seeking the Lord. There's a, a bit of a check to this line of thinking as well. 1 John 5.14, this is the confidence we have in approaching God that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. That according to his will becomes crucially important. And that's where he's not a genie in a lamp. 
Because a genie has to do whatever you want. A servant has to do whatever you want. And Jesus is not our servant. And he is not just there to grant wishes. He is God. So we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And so as we get to know him better, as we get to know his word better, as we walk with him longer, we also learn more and more what his will is. And then we start asking for things in accordance with his will. And so if we ask for something that God doesn't want to give, our asking alone is not going to make that happen. And yet Jesus gives us this picture of prayer that I love. It comes up a few different ways. This is Luke 11, 5 to 10. The parable of the midnight visitor. Jesus said to them, suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked. My children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. So in the words of Jesus himself, our prayer should look like shameless audacity. Shameless audacity. Like that's the boldness with which we are invited to pray. And it's a a boldness that doesn't give up. Connected to this parable is a parable of a persistent widow. The widow is in trouble and she goes to the judge and the judge says, I'm not going to bother you. But the widow goes back over and 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 over again. And finally the judge says, fine, you've worn me down. I will give you what you want. You were so persistent. Your persistence has worn me down. I will give you what you want. And Jesus says, if that's how a human evil judge acts, like if they can be moved by persistence, how much more your heavenly father who loves you, who's on your side, who wants the best for you. And so this picture of someone in the middle of the night, like if, you've, like if your phone's ever gone off at 2 a.m., that's not a great sign, right? When it goes off, it's like, what happened, right? It's not a great feeling. So when you're in a sound sleep and the sleep gets interrupted, and if it's just your friend who's like, who's got some food, like that's so obnoxious. That's so annoying. That's not an emergency. That's not something that needs to interrupt. That doesn't need to wake up my kids. And my house, the dogs start barking. Like that's the worst. I would be so angry if you did that. And we're like, got any pizza? I got a friend over. And yet that's the picture of prayer that Jesus says, this is what prayer is like. Knock. Knock, come knocking, come knocking in the middle of the night, come knocking with shameless audacity, come knocking and don't stop knocking until the door opens to you. You have a father in heaven who loves you, who says, come bring your requests to me. And we go to him because he's the one we go to. There are things in my life that I can do on my own. And there's things on my life that I can't do on my own. And for the things that I can't do on my own, I need a God in heaven who has some power who can do those things. So with shameless audacity, we are invited. So again, if Jesus were to stand in front of you and say to you what he said to blind Bartimaeus, what do you want me to do for you in 2023? How would you answer that question? What do you want me to do for you? He is the one that we bring our request to. He is the one with all the power. So let's take a look at our text. We're going to walk through these verses quickly, uh, starting in verse 46, 47. Jesus and the disciples come to Jericho. And as Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man named Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, Bar, that's the Aramaic word for son, was sitting by the roadside begging. 
When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Look who's knocking on the door with shameless audacity. Look who's knocking. Look who's seeking. He heard it was Jesus of Nazareth. He's living in a time where there is nothing that can be done for what he's got, obviously. We don't know the nature of what's going on with his eyes other than he's blind, but there's no you know, implants that they can do like they can do with certain things today. There's no glaucoma treatments. Like There's nothing. He's, he's just lost in his blindness. There is nothing humanly that can be done to help him. And we don't know the backstory. We don't know how he knows about Jesus. We don't know what he's heard about Jesus. But nonetheless, when he hears that Jesus of Nazareth is walking by, faith rises up in him in a profound way. And he begins to shout. And he's shouting, Lord, have mercy on me. And man, that's just a good prayer anytime. I need that prayer. I need that mercy anytime. Lord, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me to get me through the day. Have mercy on me in my sin. Have mercy on me to give me strength to accomplish this. Have mercy on me, Lord. I need your mercy. And so Bartimaeus gets it. He understands Jesus is the only way that anything is going to change for me. Jesus is everything that I need. It's been said about prayer that we shouldn't ask God for the things that we can accomplish. We should just go and do those things. We ask God for the things that we can't do, that only he can do. So we don't pray, Lord, please encourage that person. No, you can do that. You go encourage that person. The Bible tells you to do that. So you go encourage that person. We don't need to pray for him to do the things that we're called to do. We do the things that we are called to do. We call upon him for the things that we can't do. We call upon him for the things that are beyond us. We call upon him for the things where we need him, where we need his power. And so in prayer, we're trying to understand as well, then what is my role in this and what is not my role in this? As you're looking at 2023, if Jesus says, what would you like me to do for you? And as you're trying to answer that question, what is your role in it and what is not your role in it? So a lot of people will say things about their kids. Like, I I want my kids to walk with Jesus. Okay, well, you actually can't control that. Parents actually have very limited control over whether your kids will walk with Jesus or not. That's ultimately going to be between the kid and Jesus. So you don't have any control over that part of whether they will put their faith in Jesus, of whether Jesus will reveal himself to them. That, that part's out of your control. That's the part that you pray for. What is in your control is how you point them to Jesus, how you introduce them to Jesus, how you model Jesus for them, how you share scripture with them, how you bring them to church and engage them with other Christian kids their age. Like that stuff is in your control. So if it's something like that, if it's something about our kids, then we're going, okay, what is my role in this? And then what is not my role? What my role is, I will do. And what my role isn't, what only God can do, I will with shameless audacity call upon him to do that part. And so what is my role? What is not my role? And what do I have to take a a step of action on? And what do I not have to take a step of action on? Bartimaeus knows he cannot heal himself, right? That he needs Jesus for. His role is to start shouting with shameless audacity. He had a part to play. And so he does what is his role. He cries out. He calls upon the Lord. And Bartimaeus gets it. Bart gets it. He gets it. And Bart, as we will see, will not be silenced, and he will not back down. Something in him rose up that said, I need Jesus, and all he can do is shout about it. As that's happening, verse 48, many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. So there's people around, and and I don't know why they're rebuking, but if, you know, we see other times in the gospels where people are just like, don't bother the teacher, don't bother Jesus, don't interfere, 
right? Maybe they knew him and just knew he was a beggar and they didn't think that Jesus would be concerned about him. Maybe they just didn't like that he was being so loud. We don't know why, but people around him actually try to shut him down. He's looking for Jesus, and people are actually getting in the way of that around him. There's an anger that rises up. They're telling him to stop being disruptive. They're telling him to stop being so loud. God is about to move, and there's discouragement happening right away. There's someone hungry for more of Jesus, and there is discouragement happening right there. Man, how many times have I seen that pattern in my life? God is up to something and discouragement is right there with it. There are people in your life who will not be able to see what God is up to in your life. There will be doubters. There will be naysayers. There will be people who are just on a different page. But there will be discouragement along the way. When you are trying to follow after Jesus to the best of your understanding in the best way you know how, there will be those who are not on the same page. There will be those who rebuke. There will be those who shut down. And not just people. There's just things in life. There are distractions. There are things that get in the way of us following after Jesus. And again, just with a fresh start of a new year, right? New resolutions maybe, a new plan, a a fresh calendar ahead of us. Good to just take some time to reflect of what are the distractions in my life? Maybe who are the distractions of my life? What are the things that are getting in the way of me running after Jesus? Right? Because the things that we surround ourselves with, Scripture warns us over and over again about the company that we're keeping. uh, And it's not just about the people we're hanging out with. It's about the voices that we're listening to. It's about the social media that we're following. It's about the news that we engage with. It's about the websites that we visit, the podcasts we listen to, whatever the case may be. All of it can be wonderful, but are there things there that are actually getting in the way of my pursuit of Jesus? There are things there that are distracting. There are things there that are discouraging. I've shared this story with you before. I will probably always share it because I love this picture so much. Um, So this is the skyline of Montreal. Tina, that's where you're from. That's Tina's hometown. And I love this story. So in the waters around Montreal, Montreal is mostly an island, and they found a number of years ago uh, that when fish were coming, they were getting fished out of the water, and they would examine the fish, and they would uh, you know, cut open the fish, and they would test the fish in different ways. And they found that there was so many antidepressants in the water around Montreal that it, the antidepressants were actually soaking into the flesh of the fish. And so there was actually like medication in the flesh of these fish, and so the, the reason that this study came out was they were asking, like, well, why are the people in Montreal so depressed, right? So people in Montreal are taking antidepressants, and then it's passing into the sewage, and it's coming into the waters around it. And then the fish are swimming through it, and it's getting actually, like, ingested into their flesh from the water that they're swimming in. So the nature of the study was, why are the people of Montreal taking so many antidepressants? I was fascinated just by the fish. I was just fascinated by the fact that as the fish are swimming in these waters, it's not their fault, they're not even aware of it, but as they're swimming in these waters, there's something in these waters that is sucking into their being. It's sucking into their flesh. And so as they're swimming in to this runoff water that has all this antidepressant you know, chemical in it, that chemical is being absorbed into their very flesh. And what a picture. What a picture of the life that we live. And you've heard me say before, whatever waters you swim in, you're going to take on, right? Whatever happens uh, in that way, whatever you immerse yourself in, you start to become, like you start to absorb it. It starts to get its way inside. It starts to, to change you if you swim in it long enough. 
Now, if a fish just kind of, you know, skirted through and kept going, I'm sure not a whole lot would have happened. But for the fish who live in those waters, for the fish who are in that 24-7, it started to literally change them. They were being transformed by the waters that they were swimming in. And that is very, very true of us. With the voices we are listening to, with the company that we keep, with the behaviors that we engage in, with the words that we say, with the words that we receive, all the things that we are involved in. Whatever you immerse yourself in, for good or for bad, you start to become. And so you maybe have noticed, when I surround myself with godly people, something in me starts to become more godly. When I surround myself with hopeful people, I start to feel more hopeful. When I surround myself with loving people, I see myself start to become more loving. When I surround myself with bitter, complaining people, I start to become more like that. My words start to shift. My attitude starts to shift. Whatever you immerse yourself in, you start to become. So in 2023, what do we want to immerse ourselves in? We can't cut ourselves off entirely, uh, either from those who disagree with us or, or, or the voices of this world, of course, entirely. But where are we going to spend our time? that we can control? Where are we going to immerse ourselves there? Are we seeking after faith? Are we seeking after hope? Are we seeking after love? Are we seeking after people who know Jesus, who know his word, who walk with him? Because whatever you immerse yourself in, you start to become. And so as Bartimaeus is trying to follow after Jesus, there's immediate opposition. There's immediate distractions, but Bart won't back down. He doesn't back down. Something in him says, I need Jesus. Only Jesus can help me with where I'm at. So as he is responded to by this discouragement, these rebukes, be quiet, it says that he just shouted all the more. Shameless audacity. Look who's knocking. Shut up. Stop bothering the teacher. Jesus! Stop talking. Stop yelling. Jesus! Nothing is stopping Bartimaeus. He will not back down. Jesus hears him. The shouting works. Verse 49, Jesus stopped and said, call him. So they called to the blind man, cheer up on your feet. He's calling you. And throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. I, I just love the two-faced flip of the crowd. <laughs> shut up, shut up, shut up. Oh, you're into this? Get up. What are you doing? Get over there. He's calling you. The two-facedness of the people who, who thought they were doing what was right, I guess, when they were rebuking him. And then, okay, go ahead. And I just love Bartimaeus, throws off his cloak, right? Throws off, just, I need to be free here. Throws off his cloak, throws off the people who were standing in his way, and comes straight to Jesus, right? He's, he's shamelessly, audaciously knocking. He will not be held back. Bart won't back down. That phrase was in my head all week. Bart won't back down. I had a friend years ago, he was preaching on... Uh, Acts chapter 20, which is a story of a young man named Eutychus who was sitting in the window while Paul was preaching and he falls out of the window and he dies and then Paul goes and prays for him in Jesus' name. He rises from the dead. And my friend, his name is Matt Tapley. Um, This is the dumbest joke. He talks about Eutychus, this man. And he says, Eutychus has such a great like line with the ladies because he can just say, hi, my name is Eutychus and I would like you to kiss me. (laughs) And I went, ah. But every time I read that story, I think about that stupid line. Like 20 years later, I still think about it. I texted Matt last year and I said, every time I read Acts 20, I think of that stupid joke from 20 years ago. So if anything comes out of this sermon, hear this. Bart won't back down. He doesn't back down. It's not a great line, but I want it to stick in our heads. Something in him says, I need Jesus. Jesus has 
what I need. He's got everything that I need. I only can get my help from him. I need Jesus. And there was a part that Bartimaeus had to play. He had to shout. He had to get up. He had to move. But Jesus is the one who's bringing the blessing. Last couple of verses, 51, 52. Jesus asked the question, what do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. And what a great picture of he gets the blessing, but that's not the end of the blessing. He gets the blessing and then he starts walking with Jesus. I'm following Jesus now. I'm going after him. Rabbi, I want to see. I mean, that, that's maybe the most obvious. Like, what else was he going to ask for? Right? What do you want me to do for you? I was like, well, I could use a little more money. Right? Like, he, no, of course he wants to see. I mean, it seems like the most obvious thing. Jesus obviously knew what he needed, and yet Jesus still invites him to ask. Because prayer isn't just about the blessings that get released. Prayer is about the connection with God. Right? When God says, come and present your request, you know what part of that is? He just wants your time. He wants your attention. When my kids walk into a room, admittedly, sometimes it's annoying. But most of the time when they come and ask for something, they have my full attention. And if I can give them what they want, right? If my son comes in and says, can I have a granola bar? I say, sure. He goes, yeah! And he runs out and he gets it. That's a really great way to feel good for a minute. That's an easy way, right? I can easily grant his request and make him super happy. And so there is something about the connection with him. Jesus invites him to ask, even though he knows already. Jesus invites him to ask, and then Bartimaeus does ask. And there's something about asking that is very, very humble. He's saying, Rabbi, I want to see. The subtext is, I can't do it myself. I can't make myself see. No human can help me to see. I need you. There's a humility in presenting your request to God. Lord, this is what I want. He invites him to ask, to answer the question. And when he does, Jesus says, your faith has healed you. And it's not that his faith uh, made it happen because we believe that God is the one who makes everything happen. He is the source of every blessing. And yet there was something in Bartimaeus' faith that made him shout that day, right? And so if he doesn't shout, if he doesn't get up, if he doesn't come to Jesus, if he doesn't answer the question, then maybe none of it happens. And so there was a role for Bartimaeus to play. And again, we're, we're going to want to distinguish what is my job and what's not my job. Because I am not God. There are things I can't do. And yet there are things and steps that I can take. And so Bartimaeus' job was to shout and persist and knock, 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 knock. His job was to throw off the doubters and the naysayers. His job was to throw that behind and keep shouting and keep approaching. That was his job. That was his faith step. James says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Sorry, that's Hebrews. James says, faith without deeds is dead. Faith without action is dead. And so faith often requires an action. It often requires a step. That's how faith is demonstrated. And God is the one who supplies the power. God is the one who delivers him. The miracle happens because Jesus is good, ultimately. It happens because Jesus is willing and has the power, and he is good. And it happens in partnership with the fact that Bart won't back down. He says, I need Jesus, and only Jesus can do what I need him to do. Only Jesus can do this. And I am not going to stop knocking. I'm not going to stop shouting until I see Jesus do what I'm crying out for him to do. And sometimes in prayer, we are waiting, right? We are waiting, we are waiting, we are waiting. Last year, there is something that I've had in my heart. I'm going to tease you with it. I'm not going to tell you what it is at all. Someday I'll tell you, but not today. But there's something I've had in my heart 
for like 22 years at this point. God put it in my heart and nurtured it in my heart for 22 years. And I've been preparing for it for 22 years, praying into it for 22 years, fasting for 22 years. There were prophetic words that confirmed that God was going to do it 22 years ago. And I'm still waiting 22 years later. And interestingly, in 2022, it looked for a moment like it was going to happen, like the prayer was going to be answered, and then it wasn't. And scripture says, hope deferred makes the heart sick, right? But a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. And I'm going, all right, Lord, I, I am waiting. I will keep waiting. I will keep praying. And I come back to stories like this, where as much as when we're waiting, as much as when we're hoping, as much as when we're disappointed that a door doesn't open or disappointed that something hasn't happened as quick as we like or disappointed that we've prayed and prayed and prayed and it still doesn't happen, we remind ourselves of stories like Bartimaeus. We remind ourselves of the parable of the midnight visitor, the parable of the persistent widow. And we say, I am not in charge of when the blessing gets released in my life or not. My job is to knock and knock and knock and knock. My job is to come with shameless audacity. My job is to persist and persevere. My job is to keep coming and coming and coming and coming because we trust that God knows best and he will answer when it's right. And so we come and we come back over and over and over and over again. And, and I'll tell you this, and I, I debated whether to share this or not, but I will. As I look at 2023, full disclosure, I don't know what's coming. I have no idea what, what everything. We have plans. We will prayerfully make our plans. Um, in terms of what is God up to, we never know, right? It will always unfold, and, and we will learn and adjust and adapt and, and walk with him and seek him in all of it. But I, I'll tell you this, and some of this is coming out of the last few years and the difficulties there. Um, I just find myself in a place, I'm not blind like Bartimaeus, but I can understand the attitude of like, Lord, if you don't do something, I'm not sure what to do. Like if you don't answer, if you don't come through, if you don't provide, if you don't respond, like if you don't move, I got nothing Right? And I, I've been in ministry a long time. I, my whole adult life, I have been a pastor. And, um, and I, I found myself over Christmas thinking of Paul's words. And I'm not like Paul. I'm not saying that. But Paul talks about, uh, you know, I was a Pharisee of Pharisee. And I had all the right heritage. And I had the education. And I had all these things. And he says, I consider all these things rubbish compared to knowing Jesus. And I found myself in a similar spot. And, and I've, again, I've been in ministry for a while. And I've been to the conferences. And I've read all the books. And I've gone to school. And then I went to school again. And then I went to school again. And, um, you know, I, I just found myself in a place going like, it was all good. Like, there's nothing wrong with it. It was all helpful. It was all an important part of my journey. But the Holy Spirit's not going to move because of those things. And then whatever your accomplishments are, whatever gifts you have, whatever you have built, like the Holy Spirit's not moving. Jesus is not at work. And so I say all that to say, I just find myself in a place where I'm going, Jesus, if you're not at work, then nothing matters and nothing's going to happen. And if you are at work, then anything can happen. Then anything can happen if he's at work. And so our job is to knock and to press in and to position ourselves so that we are seeking after him for the things that only he can do. Because ultimately, only he can heal a blind man. And only he can heal a broken heart. And only he can bring your kids to Jesus. And only he can provide a miraculous financial provision. Only he ultimately builds his church. Only he ultimately fills us with the Holy Spirit. Only he ultimately teaches us from the word of God. Only he does these things. And so our job is to seek him, to run after him, to knock that door. 
with shameless audacity and say, Lord, there are things that only you can do. I am here to do my part. I am here to serve. I am here to be faithful. I am here to take those faith steps. But ultimately, you have to do it or else we are nothing. When we come to church on a Sunday morning, if he doesn't show up, it doesn't matter what I say. It doesn't matter how good the worship team is. It doesn't matter if he doesn't show up. If the Holy Spirit doesn't move, it doesn't matter. And yet, if the Holy Spirit does move, I've been in worship services where the worship team technically sounds like toddlers banging pots together. Like they're not, not a great musical team. And yet you can hardly stand up because the presence of God is so real in that moment. And so we are seeking him. Come on up, worship team. We're seeking him in 2023. We're seeking him for what only he can do. So here at Meadowbrook, as we are helping people take their next steps with Jesus and, and focusing on that upwardly, inwardly, and outwardly, and we often will finish a sermon this way with the challenge of what are your next steps then based on what you've heard today? What are your next steps? As you look out on a fresh new year, as you look out on just a fresh new start, as you look out on a time that's just a natural time to say, hey, maybe I need to adjust my habits, maybe I need to try something new, maybe I need to just step up again into fresh commitment or whatever the case may be, what are your next steps? And I'll challenge you with that in this way in particular. So if you were to put it in a sentence, in one sentence, if Jesus were to ask you in 2023, what would you like him to do for you? How would you answer that? What would your sentence be? And I'm going to encourage you to write it down somewhere. Write it down in the margin of your Bible. Write it down in your notebook. Write it down on your phone. Talk about it with somebody. In 2023, what would you like him to do for you? Understanding that he is not a genie. But in terms of what's in your heart and what do you want to see him do that only he can do. In 2023, what would you like Jesus to do for you? With that, what is your role in that and what is not your role? What are the faith steps that you do need to take? And where are you making sure you're not carrying the full burden? And, and I used this example earlier, like the number of parents who come to me and say, like, if my kids don't walk with Jesus, I have failed. And some feel like they have failed. And I say, oh, you're not the savior, right? You're not the savior. That's not on you. Don't carry that burden. Your job is to point them to them. And that's a lifelong journey. Even if you feel like you blew it when they were little, you can catch up now. Your job is to point them to Jesus, to talk to them about Jesus, to model Jesus, to pray for them and knock with shameless audacity. It's not your job to save them. That's not your role. That's his role. So what is your role? What's not your role? What is your thing that you should carry? And what is your thing absolutely not to carry because you're not God? And then what action on your part is involved? Bartimaeus had to shout. Right? He had, when Jesus called him, he had to respond. That was his job. He had to make some noise. He had to not back down. That was his part. That was his faith action. He couldn't open up his own eyes. That was Jesus' part. So what part do I need to take to press into him so that he can be God in this situation and he can answer this prayer as he knows best? Would you stand with me, please? We'll close with prayer in a moment. Before we do, we always like to worship and just fix our eyes on him one more time before we dismiss.